This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com. Before we get to today's interview, I've got to talk about the Big Change Program. We opened registration yesterday and nine people immediately signed up and I can't tell you how happy and excited that makes me. And my business partner, Josh Lajani, is even more excited if that's possible. If you aren't familiar with his story, Josh is a former 420-pound, hard-drinking, hard-eating ex-high school football player from the Bayou of Louisiana who is now a competitive ultramarathoner. But here's the thing. He is no professional health educator. He's just been doing his thing, waking up at 3.30 in the morning to train so he can run his two businesses during the day. And He owns and manages a trailer park, and he runs a private sewer company, which apparently in Louisiana is a thing. And often when I call him up on the phone, he's in the middle of pulling some nasty stuff out of a drain or fixing a pump motor or something like that. And it's usually in, you know, 100-degree heat, and uh, it's not glamorous. You know, he's not, he's not sitting back in his mansion with uh, all his, you know, computer banks and modems and stuff, living the Internet lifestyle, believe me. And, and yet, in spite of his grueling schedule, he has become an informal mentor to hundreds of people, mostly via social media. When we were together for a week, I couldn't believe how much time he spends responding to Instagram comments and questions, Facebook private messages from, from people who are inspired by his story and, and they want some of his success to rub off on them. And now, thanks to his generosity of spirit and his fierce wisdom and my experience with online education and behavioral psychology, we're taking it to the streets with the Big Change Program. We're actually inviting people to join us on this one-year journey to overcome behavioral challenges, you know, get to your ideal weight, and become the lean, healthy athlete we're all capable of becoming. So today is the last day that you're guaranteed to get into the live launch of the program. Uh, Rich Roll and Garth Davis will be promoting it to their giant Facebook followings soon. And we're capping the program at 60 participants-ish, so we can be sure that everyone gets personal attention. Uh, but everyone who registers by tonight, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, July 26, 2016, will be guaranteed a spot regardless of numbers. So if we have to go up to 65 or 70 tonight, we'll, we'll do it. But after that, we're, we're, we're going to limit it starting tomorrow. So if you want to read more about the program and then maybe sign up and take that step of no return to your own big change, go to bigchangeprogram.com. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Today's guest, Ashley Reinhardt, is Food and Nutrition Manager at the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, she's a military brat by upbringing and a pediatric nurse by training, and she is uniquely positioned to advocate for plant-based nutrition in really high places. Ashley works with elected officials, with celebrities, with food service directors for huge populations. And when I say huge populations, I want you to think about big colleges, school districts, prisoners, the military. And she works with military leaders to provide more healthy, familiar, convenient, inexpensive, and delicious plant-based options to their constituents. I got to admit, I first got interested in Ashley as a podcast guest when I saw her Facebook photos. There's Ashley with Cory Booker, vegan senator from New Jersey. There's Ashley with Hillary Clinton, former senator from New York. And, you know, as a 
fervent Bernie supporter. That's as generous as I can be right now. And Ashley with Wait For It, Be Still My Beating Heart, Kate Mara, actor in season one of House of Cards. As it turns out, most of Ashley's work is not so glamorous, but it's arguably at least as important. So in our conversation, we looked at the inside baseball of lobbying, health promotion, and public health, all the stuff behind the scenes that leads to the public policies that we actually do see. So without further ado, Ashley Reinhardt, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much, Howard. So let's start with your story. How did you, how did you get into, you know, plant-based nutrition and humane society and, and this whole career trajectory? Did you, did you grow up in a, you know, in, in a nutritionally aware family and have always been eating well? <laughs> that is one area where I can connect with a lot of people because I grew up in a very traditional meat and potatoes, maybe minus the potatoes type of household as a military brat. We huh. moved all over. My dad was gone a lot. A lot of times it was just my mom taking care of us. And we did what she had done as well in her childhood, which was have a very large portion of meat, maybe some canned vegetables, maybe a little salad, maybe fruit during the day. But it was definitely very meat and starch heavy. I did not get a start in nutrition until I moved down the road into my college years and went into nursing. That wasn't an automatic start. I initially looked at plant-based foods because I just was a little bit perturbed by meat and by the taste and what it looked like. But as I became more knowledgeable on the issue of nutrition, and saw what was going on with my patients, I looked at the health side of nutrition a lot more in depth. And that is what moved me to be even more healthy and more mindful of what I was eating. Huh. So what, why did you go into nursing? What was interesting to you about that? I love science. I like the adrenaline. I like the fast-paced environment that you can be in. I had some really fun and interesting times working in the OR and helping out with surgeries as well as working in the ER in addition to that. But ultimately, I ended up going into pediatric ICU nursing. I wanted to hopefully be able to help kids who frequently can't even tell if they're in pain or they're experiencing any kind of stress physically or mentally, for that matter, and wanted to make the biggest difference possible in their lives and be able to help people. And I can tell you, it was an incredibly, incredibly difficult, but probably one of the most rewarding fields of nursing to go into. What was unfortunate is that even though I was doing this nursing and I loved being able to help these patients one-on-one, really, I couldn't do a whole lot for the patients that were coming in at an increasing rate with diet-related issues like diabetes and obesity and heart disease. Huh. So you were, you were actually seeing kids with, with these diet-related conditions? Mm-hmm. And I was so surprised. In nursing school, I learned we're going to see these diet-related diseases, especially the ones such as type 2 diabetes in our older population. We see that as we have decades of unhealthy eating habits. But I was seeing them in their mid and young teenage years. There was one story in particular that always resonates with me. There was a boy who was about 16 years old who came in repeatedly because his diabetes was out of control. And we tried our best every time we came in to educate him on nutrition and on diet. 
We tried to talk to his family about the need to really support him and push him in a good direction. I think we all talked ourselves blue in the face trying to work on this so that this child didn't have to come into the hospital so many times throughout the course of his life. But it came down to the doctor sitting down with myself and the parents saying, I don't know what else we're going to do. If it continues on this path, we're going to have to talk to him about the fact that he may never be able to conceive children because the circulation will be so bad, he won't even be able to create a child. Hmm. He won't be able to, involve, to be involved in the act to create a child. And that is something we should never have to talk to anybody about, but certainly not teenage kids or younger kids. Moving farther into the nutrition research side of things, you can see that children have the beginning stages of heart disease, sometimes as early as just a couple years old. And then if you take a look into some of the newest science around autopsies of stillborn infants, they can have microscopic changes in their arteries caused by the mother's diet that is high in saturated fat and other animal products no. that would ultimately lead to heart disease beyond that. Really? So kids are being born with the beginnings of heart disease due to, due to maternal diets? Yeah. It's more important now than ever for moms and anyone who's considering trying to get pregnant in the future to really look at their diet and eat as healthy as possible beforehand. Hmm. Okay, so so you're in nursing school, you become a nurse, you're 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 seeing these diet related issues, but you're still in like the medical system that doesn't really hasn't really woken up to to lifestyle. Did you did you get some pushback as you got really interested in those lifestyle factors? Or were people like, yeah, yeah, we agree with you? Tons and tons of pushback. It's so funny thinking back to my days spent at the bedside as a nurse and the pushback I got from other nurses and doctors about eating healthier. And I can tell you, doctors and nurses can be some of the most unhealthy people in the country. I think that they do a, a good job of saying you should do this, but when it comes to being inconvenient or in thinking about potentially not eating something you like eating, it's a very hard thing to change in your own life. So while they may say we should do this or you should stop smoking, sometimes the people saying that are definitely not doing a good job of it themselves. It was more of finding people outside of the medical community who thought this was an important initiative, both for health and also for sustainability, that my work went farther. I had been volunteering with a couple groups and ran into some people who work for the Humane Society, which is based in D.C., and that's who I'm with now. And I thought, Humane Society, clearly that's cats and dogs. What in the world is the Humane Society doing talking about food? A common question I get still uh -huh. all the time from people I'm working with. And... It's one that doesn't make sense in the traditional local humane society shelter sense because we have the local shelters that are working specifically on spay and neuter and cat and dog rescue, and they're so important, but they're separate from the national humane society that I work for. And we are a more programmatic policy-based organization, and our mission is actually to create a more humane world for both people and animals alike, not just for animals. And that makes sense because really when we look at what's better for animals, it's typically going to be better for people, too. Uh -huh. It's a really nice marrying of the two and a great area to be working on food. Uh huh. So is it that uh, sort of philosophically that humans are just another species and so we should, 
we should include ourselves. It's not, not like we're, we're going to make ourselves miserable and inconvenient just for the animals. Pretty much. It's that we are all in this world together, and ultimately what benefits us benefits animals as well and vice versa. For example, if we're going to look at nutrition, which is one of the biggest things affecting this world right now, given that our leading cause of death in the country is heart disease, which is so related to our diet, that if we can concentrate on decreasing heart disease, that ultimately means that we need to eat fewer animal-based products. And then that means fewer animals in factory farms and a much lighter impact on our environment because factory farms are so harsh with waste and not to mention with uh, resource utilization. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're, you're in the medical world where there's this really good argument for you know, cutting down on animal foods that the medical world doesn't quite get. And now you're, you're sort of volunteering with the Humane Society and are it's like it's like nutrition is like this invisible subtext in both of those worlds where you know your typical humane society person isn't thinking about nutrition and your typical doctor isn't thinking about nutrition but you're you're in both those worlds thinking about it i guess all the time or more and more correct i actually work for the humane society i'm a senior food and nutrition manager and we have the incredible task of being able to go across the country, work with schools, hospitals, universities, physicians, and federal agencies, and helping them make the most healthy and sustainable, which is the most plant-based meal choices, readily available and really delicious. And it's work that is fortunately supported by just about every health expert and public health organization out there, like the American Heart Association, the Obesity Action Coalition, the American Institute of Cancer Research, and our Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. So it's one where researchers and scientists see that it's incredibly important, but not necessarily one that people who are at the front lines of putting this into practice understand or have the resources to do yet. And that's what we concentrate on. Mm-hmm. So so if, if everyone kind of agrees... <laughs> What what are the biggest obstacles to to changing um, you know our, our food and nutrition policy um, and I guess specifically in schools and but you know every, everywhere that that uh, that you try to work. I think right now that comes down to familiarity. People may have never even tried certain plant-based protein sources or plant-based foods. And we do culinary trainings with schools, hospitals, universities. And in fact, we're starting our first one with the military tomorrow. But they, we have chefs and cooks come in who maybe have never even tried tofu or who have never even heard of some of these other plant-based lentils and beans and things like that. So if they're not even familiar with the product in the first place, we are creatures of habit, so we're automatically, if we're eating, if we're looking down the food line, we're going to go to something we're familiar with, and that goes for chefs and cooks as well. They're going to want to cook and menu things that they're familiar with, too. So familiarity is a really important one, and until these folks get their hands dirty into these plant, um, in, get, get their hands dirty in the kitchen and actually get hands-on experience with plant-based foods and cooking meals and making them taste really good, they're not going to be on menus and they're not going to have any kind of samples or new options to provide to their customers to get them on board either. Mm-hmm. And is, are there, what else, what, what else do you find? So when people do get to get, you know, when they get, 
their hands dirty in the kitchen making a lentil dish or something with tofu. Did, are, are they converted or is there more is there more work to do? I think that's the easiest way. And certainly being people who want the easiest thing most quickly and most easily accessible, if we have delicious stuff right in front of us, it's really easy to eat healthy. The other part to that, I would say, is less important, but still very important, especially for those who have to decide what's going to go on the menu and who have to answer questions to their customers about nutrition, is the or are the dietitians and those who need the knowledge on the nutrition specifically to be able to feel good about putting this into their program. And I think there's still a lot of misinformation, especially the information that comes out of groups like the Dairy Council and the Meat Trade Group, because they want to sell their products. So they want to put out science as much as possible that says that their products are good for you. And they're inundating school food service directors and cafeteria workers, as well as dietitians with that information, rather than a, a broader look at the science in general. Uh-huh. A big one that I hear about a lot is chickens. And people will say, oh, I I don't really eat much meat. I just eat chicken and fish. But chicken and fish are considered meat. And not only are they considered meat, but they have a pretty high profile of fat and sometimes cholesterol if that's something you look at as well. If we look back in the old days, say a century ago, chickens had a much different genetic code. And they grew at a normal rate, and they weren't these really big, fat birds that we're seeing in typical factory farms these days that go into our meat supply almost universally. These days, they have a lot more fat than protein per calorie, and that means it's a lot different nutrition profile compared to what chickens were maybe even 30 years ago. This is, of course, a welfare issue for the chickens because that means that they have to grow up in a, an entire very short but very quick lifetime of fast obesity development and their bones and muscles not being able to support the rest of their body. But it's also huge when it comes to our nutrition implications because everybody's saying, eat more chicken and eat more fish. But that doesn't mean that you're not still getting lots of saturated fats and probably antibiotics with it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one, one of the things that always shocks me is when people, like, I understand that the, you know, the, the Dairy Council and the Cattlemen's Association, and they're, they're putting out misinformation, but there's, a, there's such laziness in the way the media reports it, and then even in the way professionals just, you know, see an article and... Like they'll you know they'll see an article about oh cholesterol is not related to heart disease or saturated fat isn't bad for you, you know that I've I've like gone into the study and seen how misleading and bad it is, but like there's a lot of medical professionals who who honestly think that a meat free diet is dangerous. Correct, right. and we virtually get zero nutrition training into our medical and nursing schools in general. So we have a number of people who are going out and prescribing medications and helping patients figure out how to use medications and when to take them, but not talking about what is typically the root of their chronic disease, which is almost in every case, their diet. And additionally, you said media is getting lazy and reporting this stuff. The media outlets are getting to be fewer and fewer, it seems, and more and more electronically based, as well as needing to have a story out within seconds of an event happening or within seconds of 
a political figure saying something. It's the world of Twitter news, basically. They have to be on the spot, ready to go. And for anybody who can provide them with information that is ready to go in a format that they could potentially just copy and paste over to their website, it's very easy to get information up and running. Plus, who doesn't like hearing that eating unhealthy food is actually not that unhealthy? Of course, it sounds great to hear that, oh, I can eat all the Oreos that I want and not have any kind of health benefits for it because this this person said so. I'm going to continue on, not look into it more, and just go with what supports what I already want to do anyway. So if that's what you're up against, what are, are there are there things that you and the Humane Society are doing to to kind of even even the playing field in this in this Twitterfied world of fewer and fewer news outlets? Yeah, and that goes down to working with people who are making the decisions on a huge number of meals at a time directly. And our team has a number of experts on it ourselves. I, I'm a nurse, for example. We have two dietitians. We have a physician on staff. And we have two chefs with an opening now for a third chef to go and work hands-on with people who need the nutrition knowledge and who need the hands-on culinary experience directly. One of our programs is a two-day culinary training where we go into a university, work with a number of their chefs, but in addition to that, they'll invite several chefs from the area, hospitals, and universities to join. And we work with everybody to do recipes and to share the new ingredients with them, and they can talk to each other about the new techniques they're using and take that knowledge and those recipes and get to try the meals themselves and introduce the meals to the administrators on campus that day and then incorporate that into their food service program. We're working with school K-12 food service providers because their regulations are so much different than any other food service regulations, and helping them figure out how to do this within the U.S. or the, the federal school lunch program guidelines and how to make that cost-effective because schools are on such a tight budget when it comes to their food service program and trying to feed kids food frequently and many or oftentimes are on free and reduced lunch programs because they can't afford food and their, their families really can't afford the lunch program. So working with them to show them how, to show them why, and give them other resources and products to help save them money and make it easy and delicious. Hmm. Do you do you see um, sort of crazy um, outcomes of like c- certain things are, are much cheaper than they should be, or certain things are more expensive? Like you know, it's cheaper to get chicken than lentils because of subsidies. Is is that is that an issue in uh, in changing school lunch programs? It's not, which is why that's a really big selling point. You would think that with all the subsidies that we give to these animal agriculture officials and to all these farmers who are raising animals for food, you would think that meat would be even cheaper than it is. But even with all the money and the tax money typically that we're pouring into these farm animal subsidy programs, it still remains that plant-based proteins like lentils and beans are incredibly cheap. You can go to the store and get a can of beans for just cents a can sometimes. So it still works in their budget. And a lot of times they have extra leftover beans that they were given as part of a school assistance program anyway. And they're really excited to be able to have other ways to start putting those to use on the lunch line. Uh-huh. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that. I just, I just figured with all the money going to uh, 
to directly to animal subs animal farm subsidies and to the you know the the feed crop subsidies. It's it's mm-hmm. it's still more expensive. Yeah. Um, and I ima- I imagine that uh, plant based foods are are safer. Right? There are fewer like salmonella outbreaks. Right. And, uh, and and is that is that a concern about you know sort of with with all the the f- the food safety issues and uh, you know the falling down of the of the USDA oversight of uh, of how food is handled are people concerned about that you know eggs and chicken and things like that absolutely and it's such an unsustainable way to create food if you have food that so easily can be uh, tainted with bacteria. The CDC, for example, saw that 48 million people a year are falling sick from eating food tainted with salmonella and other fecal bacteria. Usually that's going to be vomiting or diarrhea and stuff that won't even go diagnosed. So so frequently, even though the CDC says we have 48 million people falling sick every year, there are many cases that we can't even measure because it's vomiting and diarrhea that people may not report or go to the hospital or the doctor for. So it's even more than we know. and how, why be pouring money into these types of products when it could mean that ultimately these very resource intensive products, meaning that they require tons of water and oil, fertilizer, and other resources to produce, when we could so easily just have to waste millions of pounds of these because of bacteria such as salmonella and E. coli. And when you look at the tax money that's going into putting these types of foods into our prison system and into the military and into the school lunch program, why don't we want to put our money into the, the products that are not going to make people sick and that ultimately aren't going to be a huge waste when they're found to have these types of bacteria in them? You may recall last year also that we had a huge bird flu outbreak and millions and millions of chickens had to be killed just because they found that potentially one bird in one warehouse had it or a bird in a nearby warehouse had the bird flu in order to stop it from spreading to people because it so quickly mutates something that we can pick up, which is why we get a new flu shot every single year. They had to instead kill all these chickens, many of whom were egg laying hens, which meant that the prices for eggs for these universities skyrocketed. And many said that they couldn't even get them anyway that it wasn't even a matter of price. There just were no eggs to get. That's hugely unsustainable and not a way that we should be basing so much of our food system on. Right. So a little bit, a little bit earlier, you mentioned you're starting a project with the military today. Yes, we are heading out to an Air Force base and we're going to be working with them and their chefs in one of their dining halls because One of the biggest requests that the people working on the military's recipe database are getting is for plant-based foods. It is the top request they're getting. They want more plant-based meals because these service members nowadays see that to be most combat effective and ready and agile and quick and to be able to heal from injuries the fastest, we have to be eating healthy. And the healthiest dietary pattern out there is one that's based more on plant-based foods. Wait, wait. So you're saying you're saying the the soldiers themselves are requesting plant-based food because they've they've learned that that's the 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 best for the for their health and recovery. Yeah, isn't that surprising? Yeah, (laughs) I I mean, you know, when I when 
I, you know, I bookmarked the, like the military because one of the things I wanted to come back to is like this idea that meat is is macho. And, you know, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're eating, you know, a salad, that's a very girly thing to do, right? And if you want to be a, a he-man, you've got to have your big, your big steak. And, like, so soldiers themselves are saying, we, we want to be more combat ready, and, and therefore we understand we want plants. Yes. And there are a number of dietitians in the military, too. And these dietitians are friends with the people who are on the front lines with guns in their hands and who are having to go really into the special forces tasks and things like that. And in fact, my dad was special forces in the air force and they have to be incredibly physically fit at the top of their game. Yes. They need tons of calories when they're doing their most intense physical training calories that you can get with plant-based foods, but they also need to be able to be fast and they need to have great cardiovascular stamina to be able to keep up with everything they're doing in their operation. So it's really, really important. And Yes, it is a macho thing to eat meat, but ultimately being able to go out there and do 100 pull-ups and run a crazy obstacle course in preparation for going into hand-to-hand combat and undercover work is more important. And uh-huh. I get the question a lot about soy. You probably hear that too. Uh-huh. Well, meat is macho and I don't want to eat soy because I don't want – soy has estrogen-like properties. And indeed, soy molecules have phytoestrogens or plant-type estrogen molecules in them, but they don't work the same as animal-based molecules or estrogen molecules. So in thinking about meat being macho, you're eating frequently and drinking the estrogen, the animal-based estrogen molecules in those types of foods that are potentially going to contribute to things such as uh, imbalance in your hormones versus the plant estrogens that don't work that same way. And when you look at populations such as Asian populations who in past centuries have had many uh, who have consumed a lot of soy products, they don't have the breast cancer and the hormone imbalance the way that we see in some people here in America. Mm -hmm. So in, in, you know, in, in the civilian world, we're starting to see stories of plant-based athletes who are, you know, maybe not the most talented, but their diet is a competitive advantage, or they've recovered from injuries, or they're they're out performing athletic feats far longer and into older age than would be expected. Are there similar sort of legends of the military, like you know, a plant-based guy who who is just killing it in in uh, you know special forces training? where the other people are going, you know, other soldiers are going, huh, I think there might be something to this. There are, and they're not names that we're going to know because people in the military frequently, unless they're generals or they're overseeing big portions of the military in D.C., we're not going to know their names. But they're on the front lines every day and doing incredible work. And we in the military and the military dietitians want to make sure that they are supported and that for those who don't understand that need for better nutrition are being exposed to it. And they're at least getting the options. And the big thing in the military is options. The the National Defense Authorization Act, which is up every year for reconsideration by Congress, has been up recently. And the meat industry has gotten wind that we've been working with the military to make sure that they have the resources and recipes they need to make these options available. 
and they have now started saying that people are demanding that the military remove all meat from menus, and that they have to participate in things like Meatless Monday, which is the program we work on, which is ludicrous. We've never introduced any kind of legislation like that. But they're so concerned that this is picking up quickly and want to put a stop to it as soon as possible, that they're introducing legislation against legislation that doesn't actually even exist. Hmm. Insane. But the, the military continues to want to make sure that the best options are available and we are helping them. They, they see that this is what they're being asked for. And instead of taking away choice, which is what some of these amendments are leading people to believe in Congress right now, we're making sure that they have more choices and not just more choices, but the healthiest choice. And the, where we come in in our expertise and helping with that is making sure that the healthiest choice tastes delicious and that it's easy to make. And it's familiar. You probably get asked a lot, what do you eat? Do you eat plant-based foods? And I get that too. And I say, I eat pretty much what everybody else eats. And I eat exactly what I used to eat. I just eat a plant-based version. I'm eating burgers and pizza and burritos and fast food and maybe not so fast food and home cooking. And I'm eating soul food. Just yesterday, I had delicious soul food, macaroni and cheese and greens and barbecue and things like that. So it's making sure that it's easy, familiar, and that people know how and why to do it since the demand's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, looking at your story, I think it's, it's hilarious that when I, you know, you first, I asked you, did you grow up this way? And you're like, no, it's kind of the opposite. It's pretty, you know, standard, unhealthy and military brat. And, and now it's like that, that background must give you a lot of credibility when you walk into meetings with people who might look at you and, and say, well, you know, what do you have to do? What do you understand about our world? It does. And what's funny is I wanted to be a fire pilot myself. Before going into nursing, I had gotten a congressional nomination to go to the Air Force Academy or one of the other naval or other military academies out there. And it ended up not in a, because I felt like I could help more people in my world through nursing, and that was what I was drawn to. But going in saying how much I appreciate and understand and get and come from a military background is very helpful. And then when you look at food service operations, it comes down so much to the bottom line for them. They need to save money or they need to be cost effective or they need to be able to store foods appropriately. And the cost savings that comes along with this for the military is very enticing. Uh-huh. There, one example I can share with them sometimes is the jail system out in Maricopa County, Arizona. And it's a jail system. It's not a prison system or a long-term feeding facility, but they have an almost entirely plant-based menu for their inmates. And they see that as their inmates are coming in initially, and they're coming in with all kinds of chronic disease to start with and all kinds of medications that they need to be on, that many of them decrease, for example, their need for insulin when they're diabetic by going through this program just for three weeks and eating mostly plant-based foods. In addition, so we're saving healthcare costs, but then it's for the bottom line for the food service provider, it means that they're saving millions of dollars by not having to purchase meat. Mm-hmm. It also means that they're saving hundreds of thousands by not purchasing dairy milk. Mm-hmm. And, do, and do you do you? Why ha- wouldn't that be enticing for the military too? Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that because you know, would a an inmate in a, in a jail come in and feel like? This is, an, this is another punishment, like they're taking away my TV, they're taking away my yard time, and they're taking away my meat? Do, is, there, is, there, is there that kind of grumbling? 
I think that if it's phrased like that, there can be. If it's phrased like it's a punishment, but some of these meals that they're serving at that jail system in particular are in, have the the animal meat substituted with plant based meat. So they're still getting a meaty texture and meaty type foods and stews and other types of casseroles, things like that, but without the saturated fat and cholesterol and antibiotics. Uh-huh. So it's it's a there's a way to do it so that it's a positive thing and they feel better. And for the military, certainly that is a, a big one and and they are getting requests for it. So Gotcha. But additionally the, the cost savings that come from this is is beyond the bottom line of what's right there in front of these service members in the cafeteria. It comes down to what they're going to have as far as health habits and as far as their physical status when they get out of the military or when they go from a very active military job to a desk military job. They, they may be used to using tons of calories and being able to eat tons and tons of fat and, and sugar and things like that. And then they stop that physical activity and now what? Do they know what to eat that doesn't have all those calories? Do they know, do they even know anything about plant-based foods at all? And the answer, unfortunately, is frequently they don't. And the military wants them to. And they just need help getting there so that they can get information to that. And so that there is not a huge drain on the VA's health insurance costs because of chronic disease, as well as a drain on these veterans' lives when they have to deal with that kind of physical um, disability or that type of chronic disease. Mm, so, so in the VA system, if someone uh, retires from the military and then they develop heart disease or diabetes, that's still covered under the, under the VA Act? It is. Uh-huh. And it's probably one of the largest pulls on the VA system overall. And wow. the VA is trying to do more. They're promoting Meatless Monday and so many of their resources and so many of their social media sites and things like that. So they're trying more and more. And it's a process of making sure that we can get them as young as possible and frequently even before they get into the military so that they have a lifetime built up of good habits to go on with after they're out of active duty. Uh-huh. Did you know that right now the military is facing what could be a national security crisis because they can't even find a large population of people who are physically fit to be able to apply for the military and make it through boot camp successfully. Uh-huh. Right. It's not just a health crisis, it's a national security. We're not going to have enough people physically fit to be in our military. And, and uh, you know, when I hear about the VA in the news, you know, it's all, it's all bad news and it's all about people coming back from war and being denied services, right? There, mm-hmm. There's not enough, you know, the, the, the mental health services aren't there or there's, you know, these huge long delays and they were exposed to some sort of, you know, nerve gas or something. And they're, you know, they're, and I guess those make the news, but if you didn't have this huge tidal wave of cardiovascular and, and other diseases from diet, then there'd be the resources to actually put into uh, helping people heal from the trauma of, of, uh, of combat. Correct. Those things that they're focusing are really important because anybody who's going to go and serve our country in the military and try to protect us and maintain our freedom as, as a nation should have the best readily available resources to them, especially when it comes to their medical needs. 
And so those things are making headlines appropriately. What's not making headlines appropriately are the rates of diabetes and heart disease that are debilitating or killing these service members, sometimes not that long after they were in active duty. Mm. Uh, um. We're fortunate now that we do have some of the athletes that you mentioned who are taking this issue on and trying to encourage their fellow teammates or their fellow athletes to look at this. And that, that starts to sink into the military too, because there are so many amazing athletes there that have to be athletes every single day. Yeah. And you've got people like David Carter with the NFL and Olympic track star Carl Lewis and a uh, top marathoner, I'm sorry, ultra marathoner, Scott Jurek. You have MMA, UFC competitors like Matt Danzig and then past boxing heavyweight champions like Mike Tyson and, um, Strongest man champions like Patrick uh, Baboumian. I'm, I'm probably butchered his name there, but these <laughs> incredible bodybuilders who are not just competing but winning championships that are talking about all the reasons why they're going more and more meat-free and more and more plant-based. Are you familiar with Arnold Schwarzenegger and his recent call to this? Yeah, now he has like a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's working with people who are focused on sustainability, and that's a big chunk of where his angle comes, or his angle is, is based in, is the sustainability side of it. Right. He put in a few articles through his magazines that he is overseeing parts of, such as Muscle and Fitness and Flex Magazine. These are not men's health. They're not natural living. These are the hardcore magazines that people, including people who are doing bodybuilding with steroids are reading and he's saying we need to start cutting out meat it's not only not healthy for us but our our planet just can't sustain it certainly we can't feed all the people on it with this kind of production system but we definitely can't continue this way with how we're polluting our water resources and polluting the air polluting the ground and using up fossil fuels etc in creating and and being able to supply meat products and dairy products right so, so I have a question for you. You've, you've talked about Meatless Monday. You've talked about basically eating a, a, a typical American diet except replacing it with, with plants. So, you know, plant-based burgers and things. Now, I've, gone, I've, I've been involved in the plant-based slash vegan community for, you know, four or five years now um, on a professional level. And wherever I go to events or I, people's Facebook pages, there's always this push towards what I would call you know, sort of all or nothingism. So I went to an event where speaker after speaker was making fun of meatless Mondays and saying that, you know, it's, it's such a small gesture. It's not going to solve anything. It's just making people feel good. And then I go to other conferences that are health-based and people are saying, you know, you, you got to be a hundred percent. Don't, you know, don't eat a junk food version of the standard of a vegan junk food version of the standard American diet. And, and, you know, and don't have smoothies and, you know, and, and for individuals, it may be good advice, but what's, you know, you've clearly through with the Humane Society taken a different approach. What's, what's your sense of the values that, that are at play in that debate? And, you know, why do you come out where you do? Well, I'm so glad that we do have those out there who are saying that we need to eat plant-based and as much plant-based as possible because that's what the science ultimately says is that the most plant-based diets or completely plant-based diets are the healthiest eating patterns out there. There's no question. However, that frequently means that people 
call themselves a vegan or a vegetarian. And those are terms that are typically seen to be healthy or fringe and unfamiliar. And what most people out there want is not to be called or labeled one thing or the other. They just want to eat healthy. And let's face it, we don't want a diet. And we think of vegan and vegetarian as diet or as a diet. But if you can start thinking about taking a step, that's a good way to get your foot in the door and to get people who otherwise don't want to be a vegan or a vegetarian. And I certainly was one of those people. I remember thinking, oh, I could never be a vegan or a vegetarian. Those people are crazy. It's so extreme. When really what's extreme is having our chest cut open in order to be able to put veins or arteries from our legs into our heart so that we can avoid having more heart attacks and dying. That's extreme. Taking steps in the right direction with eating more plant-based foods is so not extreme and very simple. Whether that's a meatless Monday, taking a holiday from me just one day a week, or trying a program like Vegan Before Six, which is Mark Bittman's program, where he encourages people such as himself to try eating only plant-based foods up until dinner time at 6 p.m. Or, for example, the largest food service, in the co- food service company in the world is Compass Group, and they have a fantastic flexitarian program. And that's a term that means being flexible with how many plant-based foods and animal-based foods you're consuming and trying to be flexible and in incorporating more plant-based foods into your diet as well. And that's really taking off. So it's not a scary all-or-nothing thing or a, a strange, unfamiliar label of vegan or vegetarian or having to sound healthy or like you're on a diet, but rather eating really hopefully delicious and healthy food all in the same time and taking steps to making that a bigger chunk of your diet than less. I don't know about you, but I don't know too many people who are plant-based who did it overnight. There are some cases who did, but a lot of them did it in steps. I certainly was one who did it in steps. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, so you see the, the meatless Monday and the transitional foods as sort of rungs on the ladder. They are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic for people who can do it overnight. And certainly you're getting to the health benefits as fast as possible when you do it that way. But it's, it's tough for some people and it can be tough for families, families who are eating together and who want to get everyone on board and hopefully sharing the same meals. It's such a core part of our tradition and our family bonding is eating together. So if you're able to try little steps and explore and, and have new options rather than fewer at first, and ultimately expand your world of all the different fruits, vegetables, beans, legumes, et cetera, that you can incorporate, then that's a more positive, fun, easy, non-threatening step or non-threatening way to go about it than being militant about all or nothing. Mm -hmm. There's a pretty cool story about the food service director at American University. Such a funny, big, boisterous guy. He's probably 6'3", and I believe he's from Argentina, and he said, He, especially out there, was nothing but steaks and meats and dairy all the time. And in being here in the U.S. for many years now, he's seen how that culture is very similar and having tons and tons of meat, but his body hasn't been able to handle it over many years, many decades. He said he was overweight and he was on all kinds of medications for his blood pressure and cholesterol and, you know, having to pay attention to his blood sugar and things like that. Well, he's a dining director, so he oversees the food service operations at American University, so it's thousands and thousands of meals that he's overseeing every single day. And, of course, when you're in charge of that, you're going to hear from people who are eating at your dining facility as to whether or not you're doing good or bad, and usually you're going to hear if you're not doing so great. 
And he heard from students saying, we are looking for more plant-based options and we're not finding them at your dining hall. So what can you do? And he said, well, of course, we have tons of options. I don't know what you're talking about. We have this, 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 and this. And he sent them back and said, okay, I've educated you. Go try these options. And they came back and said, we still don't have enough to eat. There's still not enough here. He said, I, I just don't understand what you're saying, but in order to try to do it, because he cares and he wants to make sure he's doing a good job and that he's serving the university community to the best of his ability, he said, I'm going to try it with you. I'm going to go see what you're eating, and I'm going to show you that it can be done in our dining hall. So he went plant-based for a semester. And he said within the first couple of weeks, he almost just couldn't keep up and couldn't do it anymore because there was no way he was going to eat another serving of salad or another serving of cold pears from the salad bar anymore. These were options that he said he was giving to his plant-based <laughs> or plant-focused diners. He said, no more, I can't do it. And that is what led him to completely overhaul his dining program. And now they have tons of delicious and very diverse types of plant-based meal options there for people who are looking for the healthiest option or just people who want something different to eat. And he said he's gotten off all of his medications. He's lost something like 60 pounds. His energy went through the roof and he feels amazing. And he's helped his staff start to do some of the same types of movements in their own diets too, because his has been so successful. Huh. Wow. Uh, it sounds like someone I should have on the podcast. Is, is his name public or is this uh Hush, hush. Yeah, I'd be happy to connect you. It's the food service director at American University. It's Ken Chadwick. He works for one of the other really big food service companies that's also doing a lot on incorporating more meat for meals, which is Airmark. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I see. I think I see their trucks. Yep. Yeah, it's funny because I'm, yeah. you know, I, the way I grew up, I tend to think of like big companies as sort of the enemy, as sort of the obstacles. Like, you know, like McDonald's mm -hmm. or Walmart and like all these companies that are making money off of selling, you know, bad food and crappy stuff. And yet it's it's kind of those companies that have the potential to to really change things. Right. It's like the, they do. It's like if, you know, if I'm um, going just to my local food co-op and I have the money to afford, you know, four dollar a pound broccoli, that's great for me. But it's really the Aramarks and the Cisco's and the other ones that are going to, if if we're going to change our culture and our civilization and the trajectory we're going, it's going to have to be those big companies, huh? Exactly. And certainly we can try and work person by person and help them understand the hows and whys to eating more plant-based foods. But we spend so much of our time eating out and eating at school or eating at our place of work or eating when we're visiting people in the hospital or if we are a patient, we're eating in the hospital and that's where we can have such a huge impact in a very short time frame to start introducing people to these types of menu items. And we're helping them do things like samples and promotional programs such as Meatless Monday or punch cards to encourage their guests to try them. Because it's one thing if they're there. It's another thing if they know they're there and if they're giving, given a chance to try them before they have to buy them. And now there are hundreds of school districts, entire districts, Districts such as the second largest in the U.S., which is the Los Angeles School, School District in California, they serve roughly 700,000 meals every single day, and they are meat-free on Monday. So 700,000 meals every single week now that are more plant-based than if we were to work with individuals in the city of Los Angeles one by one to try and help them incorporate more meat-free meals. And then we have hundreds of hospitals and hundreds of universities 
all around the country that are doing the same thing, whether it's a meatless Monday or lean green day, or saying we're going to do just smaller portions of meat, or we're going to do burgers that have a blend half say with lentils or with mushrooms to cut down on the consumption and do it in self-help ways rather than uh, saying here, try this meat free meal. Mm -hmm. So a number of different ways, but it is hundreds and probably thousands at this point, school districts, hospitals, and universities that are taking this on in a big way. Cool. Very cool. So let's in uh, segueing. I don't want to let you go without asking about the, some of the photos on your Facebook feed. So there's a picture of you smiling with um, Hillary Clinton, I think with with Cory Booker, and um, my personal favorite, Kate Mara. <laughs> um, so first, like, what's you know, how do you get those photo ops, and and how how are you using them to to promote the Humane Society's mission? That, those come in a couple different ways. The Humane Society is supported by so many people, including celebrities and politicians, to start with. That, for example, with Kate Mara, she came to our office to do a video to talk about an equine issue or a horse issue. And I got a chance to say hi to her, and she's plant-based, and she speaks up for all kinds of animals, including farm animals. So it's it's one where we don't always have to engage them. They want to do more on this. And we've had several celebrities, including those from the school age population, like Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, and MTV Channel stars, doing posters with us and videos to encourage kids to eat healthier plant-based foods and to give Meatless Monday a try or Leaning Green Day a try. And these celebs are coming typically from that angle. The politician side is a personal interest of mine. I've always been interested in politics outside of my work, and I've volunteered and tried to work on different campaigns and legislative issues. And just simply being involved and showing up, and I eat food that looks really good on my plate, for example, and I will have people say, wow, that looks really good. What is that when I'm at political events? But I find that there are either politicians who are already plant-based and vegan, for example, Senator Cory Booker, and I'm hearing there's another senator who I still need to confirm is also vegan for health and ethics, and other politicians who have family members, such as Hillary Clinton, and I believe it was um, maybe Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz's wife who's vegetarian. So all these people who are already doing it because of ethics or because of health or whatever other reason they're wanting to do it that have questions about what to eat and where to get products and what restaurants to try and things like that or the whys or how they, for example, can promote this year, which is the year of the, of the pulse or the, the year of the legume in their legislative agendas. I think I've worked with someone in just about every level of the government, from the city, the, a guy whose daughter is vegan and his whole family is trying to move more plant-based and they want recipes, to the state level where one of my state delegates is battling diabetes and being pre-diabetic. And he, he doesn't even look overweight or unhealthy, but regardless, his diet, even though he may not be obese or overweight, his diet still lends him to be more likely to develop diabetes up to the national and even the presidential levels. I mean, we may potentially have a mostly plant-based first gentleman if Hillary Clinton is elected president, and depending on who she decides to pick as her VP, potentially have a vegan or vegetarian vice president with that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, 
I guess that puts it, it directly in the center of the culture wars, <laughs> right? It does. Are, yeah, we, are, we, are we ready just, for that? Go ahead. Are, are we ready for that? Are we, you know, are we ready to have the, you know, the Duck Dynasty contingent um, tur turn a, a dietary profile into a uh, sort of a, a flash cultural political issue? Well, they may try to. Some of these outside groups may try to. But what's funny is that it's truly a nonpartisan issue. And we see that just in the past week where we had Senator Booker and Senator um, it's a Republican senator from Utah, I believe, who are introducing a bipartisan bill to stop certain checkoff programs who are receiving government funding from also inappropriately lobbying with those funds. Huh. And it's a bipartisan issue where we want a free market. And if we're giving government money to certain industries and then letting them lobby and use that money in all different ways in which they shouldn't, then that's to some extent taking away the free market and inappropriately stopping other companies from prospering when they are being bullied by the big ag companies. Uh-huh. Wow. So uh, I like that because, uh, you know, free markets is such a right-wing issue and uh, kind of it's, it's, a, it's a nice twist, say that, they, you, know, mm -hmm. you know, and smaller government, right? So, you know, tip, typically exactly. I, th I think of the right-wing as being very sort of much more pro business pro big ag pro meat but here here you're kind of framing it or cory booker and his colleague are framing it as smaller government and and a fairer marketplace yes and i'm i'm remembering now senator lee uh-huh that's from utah from utah and mm -hmm. okay yeah so they're coming together agreeing around how we need to make sure it is a free market and the free market is going towards more plant-based investors and investment companies are going more plant-based because they see it's a risk to their investments to be investing in unsustainable industries such as animal agriculture, especially when you look at things like bird flu and environmental degradation. We can't keep up those practices forever. Really? So, so actual money people are getting spooked by the unsustainability of animal ag? They are, yeah. In fact, our organization hosted a big summit with the biggest investment firms and biggest banking companies in the world just last year to start talking about how unsustainable and how much of a risk animal agriculture can be to their portfolios and how much better um, companies who are going in the right direction by incorporating certain higher standards for welfare, as well as more plant-based foods and things like that into their companies now that's better and less of a risk. These are the, the biggest financial companies in the world. And then you mentioned some of the big companies that are food manufacturers or grocers, things like that. Well, Walmart, being one of the largest food grocers, is promoting Meatless Monday. They, of course, buy tons and tons of meat and animal-based products, but they're promoting Meatless Monday. And now they're starting to put tons more plant-based meat products on their shelves. And this is in large part because the investment world and the startup world, all these entrepreneurs are coming into the space, starting companies that disrupt the animal protein sector and the animal food industry and replace it with healthier, more sustainable and really delicious food products instead of the animal based products. Hmm. All right. So w one thing I was thinking of when I saw the picture of you with with Hillary Clinton is, you know, the the, uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign has has raised the issue in a really powerful way of 
you know, corporate contributions and corporate influence. And, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to like balance out, you know, the humane society's influence versus Monsanto versus, um, you know, the, the agricultural interests in, in Arkansas. Um, like how, how do you see, you know, if you, if you're actually working like up close and personal with politicians, should I be as cynical as I am? Or, you know, is, is, is it just like they're going to flock to the, to the biggest check, like a magnet or like what, what's an, what's an insider look that might make me feel a little bit better about politics and money and influence and lobbying? There are really wonderful, good people in politics, but you should probably still be cynical because there are still many out there, unfortunately, who are getting huge checks from big business, especially big ag business in some of the largest agriculture producing states, such as Iowa and Nebraska. And that's unfortunately what we're up against. Not only do they lobby those politicians, especially their own politicians in those states, but they push those politicians to then influence things like our dietary guidelines and the federal food service guidelines and things like that. We have so many good public health groups that work alongside us and environmental protection groups who work alongside us to help try and move our policies, especially our food and nutrition policies, in a better direction so that we are healthier and we have a cleaner environment and we're more sustainable as a food industry, but are constantly being pushed back bigger than we can keep up with right now from the other side, from the animal agriculture industry. Now, the public health groups are learning more and more, and including federal agencies such as the USDA and the CDC and the military are seeing more and more that they need to stop these industries from being able to be so powerful, and they need to make sure that everything comes down to science because science shows that we need to eat more plant-based foods, but they, they need all the public health and all the environmental groups' help. They need physicians' help in order to do it and to combat the big money that comes into play in politics around that central topic of food. Mm. So in, in, in closing, you, you're working from a, in a, in a very sort of top-down way in a, in a lot of ways with people with, with influence over, you know, hundreds of thousands of meals. You're also working very, very bottom-up, getting individuals to change, getting entrepreneurs to kind of disrupt. For, for my listener who's not a professional, who's just, you know, like living their life and they're interested in, in health and wellness and in the environment and in justice and humanity and animals, what are some things that we can all do sort of bottom up to help you push this agenda uh, nationally and internationally? It can be as simple as making sure that you are a happy, healthy person who may be able to show other people you run into or politicians who you meet with or run into or other influential people in your community delicious food that's plant-based and that you and your family love to eat. That has done tons for myself and others who are working around politicians and other leaders of organizations and things like that to see exactly how easy and fun and delicious it can be. Beyond that, though, it's as simple as talking to maybe your child's school district and saying, hey, we're hearing about this really popular Meatless Monday program and that kids are loving it, that celebrities are promoting it. Maybe it's something we can do here or talking to your place of employment. If you have a cafeteria to say, love to try out some of these entrees some of these hot entrees. I love your salad bar. I love 
the carrots and hummus you have or whatever else that you might provide, but what about this delicious hot entree or what about doing a recipe in your our wellness newsletter? It can be as simple as going to a restaurant that maybe doesn't have tons of great options or if they do, thank them for it. But if they don't, for example, I've had a lot of great success in saying, hey, I'm, I eat plant-based foods. Would your chef be interested in whipping something up and surprising me with whatever they want to make? And I've had some of the best options that way by giving them their freedom and by saying, love what you're doing. Maybe you want to try a little creative twist and surprise me. Mm. Right. It's almost like there's a, I can't remember who said, who, who made the quote, but it was something like the, the leader, the president is looking out the window and seeing a mob and said, ah, oh, there, there are the people I must run in front of them and lead them. <laughs> right. It's like if, if all of us, like, you know, Walmart is into the their bottom line, this investment group is into the bottom line and they're, they're seeing, they're following the trends. So if each of us can kind of be a little bit more public, but in a in a nice and kind and gentle and encouraging way to kind of stand up and not be so invisible, then that exactly. that can, that can have seismic effects. Yep. Awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. This has been so interesting getting you know kind of your your professional perspective in a world that most of us uh, have no idea about, and uh, I'm I'm so glad that you and people like you are are out there on the front lines doing this work every day. I'm so glad that you're able to help spread the message and get it out to people who want to learn about this stuff. One website, if anybody's interested in recipes that they can go to, is humanesociety.org slash recipes. And I'm really grateful to have been on and be able to talk about this. And I hope it's encouraging to everyone to know that everything's moving in the right direction and we need to stay positive and we can be happy knowing that we're getting there and just make delicious food so other people can join in and do it willingly. Right on. So humanesociety.org slash recipes. I'll, I'll put a, a live link in the show notes. And Ashley Reinhardt, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you all for Howard. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 165. And please, if you want to get healthy and fit, even if you tried before and failed, hell, especially if you've tried before and failed, check out bigchangeprogram.com. Josh and I would love to work with you this year. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 164 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. If you get the podcast but not the weekly email newsletter, get over to plantyourself.com and sign up. Thanks this week to Plant Yourself Podcast patrons, Leah Stoller, Victoria Dolomanova, Elspeth Feldman, Michelle X, the Mysterious, David Bizek, Jen Vilkanovsky, Tina Ahern, Tina Sharp, Christine Nielsen, Rachel Behrens, Melissa Cobb, Ellen Kennelly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Amanda Hatherly, Amy Good, Tammy Black, Barbara Whitney, Elizabeth Clifton, Dominic Marrow, Brittany Porter, Anthony Disson, Lynn McClellan, Kim Harrison. Thank you guys so much for your generous support of the podcast. If you would like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write a review on iTunes. And a bunch of very kind people have left five-star reviews over the past month. Here are a couple of them. 
JPH1327 says, helpful info for people interested in the plant-based life. And the comment is, interesting conversations about an evidence-based plant-based lifestyle. Thank you, JPH1327, for the comments and for the five stars. Kathy Catwhisperer says, I look forward to this podcast, exclamation point, exclamation point. She says, never fails. I learned something from listening to Howard. He is so knowledgeable yet down to earth and learns right along with the listeners, which makes me feel less foolish when I don't know something. I listen to this while walking my dogs and sometimes walk longer just to keep listening. Thanks, Howard. Oh, gosh, I can't tell you how good that feels, especially knowing that dogs are getting extra walks. And um, yeah, I learned right along with you. It's not a trick. <laughs> it's, it's, I really, you know, learn right along with you. It's not uh, false humility. I really, you know, try to get guests who are going to tell me things that I don't know. So thank you so much, Kathy Cat Whisperer. The Speedy Vegan says, thanks, Howard. Great interviews. I especially love how humble you are with your questions. Keep up the good work. Again, as my father used to say about me, you got a lot to be humble about. And Ariel Ann Fruity Runner says, I love this podcast. I have been listening to podcasts on my daily runs since Rich Roll started his channel. There are not many vegan channels out there that are very entertaining and informative. I love this podcast because Howard does not go off topic. He interviews people in the health, fitness, vegan, plant-based movement, and not random celebrities or others with possibly interesting lives, but not exactly what I am looking to listen to for an hour. He asks the right questions, doesn't interrupt his guests, so the flow is very nice. I like his interview style as well. He gets right to the point. Not too much small talk or chit-chat, which can get boring. I look forward to each of his podcasts because I always know I will be kept listening until the end, and I always learn something new. Thank you so much, Howard, for all the hard work you do to bring this much-needed information to the public. Well, thank you, Ariel Annie Fruit and Fruity Runner. Ariel and Fruity Runner. Sorry about that. Um... Yeah, I mean, I do I do keep it focused, but possibly because uh, if celebrities won't answer my phone, so uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pretend that I'm doing that totally on purpose. All right, well, there's a couple more. I'll save it for next week. Um, next week, speaking of next week, I talk with Olivia Kelly, who is cracking the code of corporate wellness programs, the technology, the psychology, the sustainable business model. And the good news is she's tying all that good stuff to the healthiest diet on the planet, the whole food plant-based diet. Yay. In garden news, I can't make gazpacho fast enough. Once the tomatoes come through the back door and onto the kitchen counter, I have like two minutes to process them before, before the hordes of fruit flies descend. And combine that with cucumbers the size of my femur, of which I've posted a photo in today's show notes, plantyourself.com slash 165, because I am not exaggerating. And we're kicking ourselves for not having set up a farm stand or started seriously marketing all this produce. This winter, we're going to get serious about sharing that bounty. All right, that's it for this week. So as always, be well, my friends. <laughs>